Please be seated. And let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Sunday night, we go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We find ourselves in chapter 22 of Genesis this evening. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested, and that is a circlable word in your Bible, the word tested, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, and, and the idea of here I am is uh, not only you have my attention or, or that kind of a thing, it is, it is already an expression in the original language of submission to anything that God would say to him. It's like, here I am, you've got my attention, I say yes to whatever you're going to say before you even say it. That's a good way to turn to the word, isn't it? <laughs> so that's his heart to the voice of God. And then the Lord said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So the Lord calls on Abraham now to offer his son Isaac and uh, uh, you know, it's quite a story, and just the promise of Isaac, and now finally they have him and all. And Isaac is probably somewhere uh, at least 17 years old at this particular point, and uh, probably more toward 25 years old, maybe even as old as 30 uh, in, in this, uh, this particular uh, time here. Now, as it relates to this, if we're going to have any hope of understanding this chapter, we need to understand a couple of things, uh, very important things at the outset. Notice again in verse 1 that what is happening here is a test. Uh, God never intends Abraham to sacrifice his son to him. It's a test of Abraham's faith, a test of, of his obedience, and of his submission. And uh, we need to realize that, uh, uh, that both God and Abraham knew going into this that this was a test. Now Abraham knows that God has made tremendous promises to him, not only him, Abraham, but also has given both Abraham and Sarah tremendous promises through their son, through uh, Isaac. So he knows that even if Isaac does die in this test, God has to bring him back to life in order to fulfill all of those promises. And so you notice there in verse 5, before we get to it, we don't do things in order around here. So in verse 5, where Abraham declares to his servants that both he and Isaac would return uh, to them. And uh, so he's going off to sacrifice him, but he says, we're both coming back. Abraham is he's clicking on all eight cylinders here with the Lord on, on things, at least seven and a half. We know in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, the Holy Spirit gives us a little further insight into all of this when uh, it declares concerning this chapter in Abraham's life with Isaac that he was accounting that God was able to raise Isaac up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So he 
realized, all right, even if I do offer my son as a sacrifice, uh, God is going to have to raise him from the dead to fulfill the promises. Death will not have the final say in, in all of this. Now, this whole chapter here and, uh, uh, speaks of not only Abraham offering of, of his, uh, being called to offer his son Isaac to the Lord, but it is a picture of uh, 2,000 years later of our Heavenly Father who would then offer His Son uh, for our sins uh, in that very, very part of the world. Now, Abraham and God, we need to understand this about the whole situation too, they are very good friends here. In fact, the book of James, James calls uh, Abraham the friend of God. So, so they're friends in, in, in all of this. And God chooses here through this very unique trial to give Abraham, because Abraham is his friend, uh, a sense of communion, a sense of understanding, uh, the greatness of what he, God, would one day feel at the giving of his son, his only son, whom he loved as a sacrifice uh, for mankind for the forgiveness uh, of our, our sins. And uh, so again, Significant to notice that whatever is happening here, uh, Abraham is tracking with God on it. Uh, it doesn't trouble God or Abraham at all, this, this command at all. Abraham is completely at rest in the promises of God. Now notice in verse 2, we'll only be another three hours here. But uh, notice in verse 2, and it's significant, is that God calls upon Abraham to offer his son as a burnt offering. Not as a sin offering, not as a trespass offering, but as a burnt offering. And one of the things about the burnt offering is, as will later on be fully developed under the law of Moses, is that the burnt offering was an offering of consecration. Uh, a, a burnt offering when was unique in some ways among the offerings in, the, in that when the sacrifice was given to God, the entirety of the animal would be consumed upon the fire after the sacrifice, completely consumed. And what it represented on the heart of the worshiper when they offered this sacrifice is a desire on their part for their entire life to be fully consecrated to God, fully set aside to God for His uh, purposes. And so it's a burnt offering that, that is, is happening here and, and speaking of total surrender and consecration uh, to to the Lord. And so what the Lord is doing here is He's calling upon Abraham to fully consecrate, fully surrender Isaac to the Lord, to the will of the Lord. It is very important to notice that God is not calling on Abraham to execute his son, but to offer him. Notice God doesn't say, I want you to go to the land of Moriah, execute Isaac on one of the mountains that I will show you. No, he is offering him as a, as a burnt offering. And this is a test to see whether Abraham would be willing to offer Isaac to the will and the purposes of God. No matter how hard God's will was for his son and for his child. And no matter what it would demand of his child to walk in God's will for his life, even if it meant the death of his child, 
Isaac, no matter what kind of personal sacrifice God might require of Abraham or Isaac, that Abraham would be willing to commit his son to the call and the purposes of God. It all becomes uh, clear a little bit later in verse 12. 12. It is also uh, critical uh, that God's will for Isaac be the most important thing in Abraham's life. This is the son of his old age and all. But he must not let his emotions, he must not let even his father's love for his child interrupt or, or steal the child away from God's purposes for this boy. And it's the same application for us with our children. God has a plan to bring a savior into the world through Abraham, but also through the lineage of Isaac. And the danger in all of this is that Isaac now, after ha- or Abraham, after having waited so long to receive his son, that he would then take the son back and say, no, now he's too precious to me and, and all. I'm not willing to sacrifice him to you, your will and, and your purposes. But God has said, I'm going to bring a Savior into the world through Isaac, and I need to know that I'm free to use his life however I want. Now notice God's description of Isaac in verse 2. He says, I want you to take and, and offer, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. And so here you've got God saying, I and mean, it can almost seem cruel when you read the Bible for the first time. You say, boy, you're asking me to sacrifice my son to you, and do you have to remind me that he's my son, my only son, whom, whom I love at the same you know, time on, on, on all, all of that, and, and reminding me that he's the only one that I have to offer you know, to you? It's not like I have 10 or 15 sons, as hard as that would be, but, but to give your son your only son represents, I mean, a, a greater personal sacrifice, still but again it's all a picture of the greatness of the sacrifice that the father our heavenly father has made for us and the giving of his son his only son whom he loves on the cross of of calvary it was a father's son who died on the cross for our sins it was a father's son who died on the cross of calvary for our sins and, and so here it is, the Lord experienced a father's grief uh, at the death of his son uh, on, on that day. But like Abraham, he had the absolute confidence of his son's uh, resurrection. Notice too that the Lord clearly and indisputably asks Abraham to offer up Isaac and not Ishmael as a sacrifice to him. In fact, he doesn't even acknowledge uh, uh, Ishmael as a son of Abraham. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Remember, Ishmael is a product of, of, of a fleshly uh, idea of Sarah and of Abraham. And God does not feel compelled to respect or to honor or to use or to fit into his plan the works of our flesh. He feels very, very free to reject those things. This was the son of promise. This was the one that came by faith. And so, your only uh, son. Now, 
uh, in Islam, uh, they teach that right here in, in this passage, that this is something that Jews and Christians have kind of foisted upon history, uh, that Abraham went to offer Isaac up on Mount Moriah, when in fact the, the, the uh, Muslims would teach that he went up and he, he went to offer uh, Ishmael on, uh, on Mount uh, Moriah. But very, very clearly the Bible teaches that it was Isaac that was to be sacrificed. Now, to take and to say in, the, in just the open face and clarity of the Word of God that it wasn't, it wasn't Isaac, but that it was Ishmael, I mean, that's reason enough to reject that entire religious system. It is completely illogical. It is a lie under the weight of the scriptures if you take even if you wanted to do that if you wanted to take and fashion this and say it wasn't Isaac we're going to take Isaac's name out of this place and we're going to put Ishmael's name in that place your problems are only beginning because you won't make heads or tails of this Bible not from Genesis all the way through to Revelation you have gotta rework this thing in a way that would take you a thousand lifetimes you could never do it it only fits with Isaac it can't fit with Ishmael and so here is a religious system Islam and since it's so big in everything now it's good to spend a minute or two here and there as we hit that here is a religious system that is claiming to have a foundation in the Old Testament they claim a foundation in the Old Testament in an attempt to give a legitimacy to the religion that it does not deserve but it must call the Word of God a lie to do it well it's just nonsense it's just, it's just crazy, and, and it's a, a very, very good thing to steer uh, away from. And, and so God does not even acknowledge Ishmael in this. Now notice he, the Lord acknowledges the love of Abraham for Isaac there in verse 2. Here he is. This is the, the son of his old age, and the Lord has watched what joy uh, Isaac has brought into Abraham and into Sarah's life all of these years and, and that joy's been his portion for somewhere between 17 and 30 years I mean really it has just made his his old age uh, uh, such a blessing and again it's a picture of the father's love for uh, Jesus his son that brought him such joy as, as the father said twice during the course of Jesus's ministry this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased it wasn't just a son who died on the cross of Calvary for our sins uh, it was a beloved son that died on the cross of Calvary for our our sins now notice that all of this was to take place this this sacrifice in the land of Moriah verse 2 on one of the mountains God would reveal to him and we know from second uh, Chronicles chapter 3 verse 1 that Solomon would ultimately build the Jewish temple uh, on on Mount uh, Moriah so this is the command that's been given helps us to understand now the rest of it and so Abraham he rose early in the morning so we've got early in the morning obedience here and he saddled his donkey took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and he rose and went to the place which God had 
told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place uh, afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, the servants that were with him, stay here with the donkey, the lad. And, and, and because of the use of the lad referring to Isaac, we sometimes think of him as pro, you know, maybe six years old or eight years old or something like that. And dad's pinning him down, ready to you know, sacrifice him and that kind of thing. The, the word in the Hebrew used for the lad is the same word that's used for young men. He is a young man uh, by this age. And there's significance to it, which we'll get to in just a moment. So he said, you stay here to the servants with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder, and we're going to go worship. This is going to be worship here. And we, plural, will come back to you. And so he is uh, confident that he is going to uh, return back uh, with, uh, with Isaac. Uh, back to uh, the camp. And uh, so here, again, there's recognition. God's given tremendous promises to the world, to Abraham, uh, through Isaac. Even if Isaac does die, God will have to bring him back uh, to life in order to accomplish those things. So it's a very, very difficult trial that Abraham is in, but he's processing it biblically. He is processing it in the light of the promises of God. So outwardly, it looks like God is asking him to do something that will violate all of the promises, but, but he has the confidence that the Lord will, will make happen whatever has to happen uh, for his word to be true in, in all of it. And, and so they travel then now in verse 6 with all of the things that are necessary for a burnt offering. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son. And so Isaac now, they've left the donkey behind. Isaac is now carrying the wood on his back to the place where he'd be offered up as a sacrifice. And the beautiful picture uh, of Jesus, as Jesus would later carry the cross, wooden cross to Calvary and be crucified there. Let me read something to you, very interesting, from an ancient uh, Jewish source. Not a Christian source, not even Messianic here, purely Jewish, does not recognize Jesus as the Messiah source related to the imagery here. And it's quoted uh, related to Jewish rabbis. And I quote, the image of Isaac's carrying the wood on which he is to be burned adds enormous power to the story. A midrash relates this to a Roman method of execution that was sometimes used on Jewish martyrs. It is like a person who carries his cross on his own shoulder. That is incredible. Because here you have sometimes, they say, Christians, you know, you're imposing too much of Jesus, though the volume of the book testifies of him. Jesus is in every page and every chapter of, uh, of the book and all. But here is a purely Jewish uh, resource, and they declare this, uh, of Isaac carrying the wood for his own sacrifice, they declare it to be a picture of a future Jewish martyr who would carry his own wooden cross toward a Roman execution, just like Jesus did. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just, uh, just tremendous. Well, Isaac has uh, a, a, a question about all of this as he's got the wood and he's carrying it, and then 
Abraham took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. The father was at that scene of the cross. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son, intimacy of the relationship. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. So he says, Boy, I see the wood, and I see the fire, and I see everything here. But, Dad, aren't we missing something? Aren't we missing a sacrifice here? And, and I like it better. It's, it's one of the places that I really like the old King James better than the new King James. Because the new King James has Abraham's response. My son God will provide for himself uh, the lamb for a burnt offering. In the old King James it says God will provide himself. <laughs> God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering and so they went the both of them uh, together and remember Isaac says now where is the lamb John the Baptist could have answered it for him couldn't he behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world speaking of of, of Jesus and so they come up to this place now uh, which God had told them on Mount Moriah and Abraham built an altar there and he placed the wood in order and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar of upon the wood and Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Now it's very very interesting that they come up into the land of Moriah we're told very very clearly uh, uh, here that uh, in, in the passage that they go up onto a mount and, and all and, and then he's ready to offer uh, Isaac there as a sacrifice and, and, and you would always go to the highest point of any mountain you were on or any place you were going to offer a sacrifice always to the highest point the interesting thing is that 2,000 years after this event Jesus is going to be crucified at the highest point of Mount Moriah because the highest point of Mount Moriah is Mount Calvary where he was crucified and, uh, and immediately, just maybe in, you know, the, an arrow shot down from that place is where Solomon's temple was built there. And so often when you go to Israel and we go to the model city of Jerusalem, though that's not, they, they're taking that out and relocating it because they're going to put high rises there. But you, you would go there and the Jewish guides take you into that place and everything and, and they'll say that um, the temple was built right on the place of Mount Moriah where Isaac, Abraham was going to offer his son Isaac. Now, Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem exactly where he was supposed to, on that threshing floor that David purchased for. There's no complaint about where that is, is uh, uh, located. But when you stand there on that Temple Mount area and you're able to look at it with, you know, the, just talking about the, the topography or whatever it's called and everything, and you look, that ridge of Mount Moriah goes further still, and as your eye would just follow it all the way to the top, you're at Calvary. There's no way that Abraham traveled three days with his son to Mount Moriah and he stopped 300 yards short of the top. He went to the top and offered his son. Because that's all of this is a picture 
uh, of, of Jesus and, and his death for our sins. Now it's interesting there in verse 9 as Abraham uh, binds Isaac and all. You look at Isaac's willingness here. I mean, Isaac is, Abraham is quite elderly by this point, and uh, maybe 125 years old. And any 125 year olds in the room? Okay. So, I mean, and, and you got this young, strapping young man and all, somewhere between 17 and 30, he just could kind of look and say, Whoa, what? <laughs> what do you got in mind, Dad? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it, it, but he could have easily overpowered his dad on the thing. But you have not only the father surrendered to, uh, to the father's will, but you also have the son uh, here. And this, again, a picture of Christ. Remember when Jesus took and he laid down his life at, at the cross? He said, no man takes my life. Because no man could. He said, I lie, lay my life down of my own accord. And so here this beautiful picture. Both Abraham and Isaac are de demonstrating tremendous faith and, and obedience. So he takes the knife there in verse 10 and he's ready to slay his son. And I mean imagine he's waited all of these years for the birth of his son that he loves and, 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 and uh, all of the promises that has to do with his son that God has given and, and all. But in all of it Abraham knows that this is a test. And, and that God would not allow the death of his son to be the final say in all of this. If he did sacrifice him, God's going to bring him back from the dead. And so here's Abraham. He's operating with a much larger perspective, much larger confidence than sometimes we realize is happening in the passage. Now notice what the Lord does here. He stops him. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, here I am, same thing again. And he said, the Lord said to him, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, uh, from me. So he never intended uh, the death of Isaac here at uh, all in, in this. And so here Abraham and all of this, he is, he is demonstrating a respect for God that he'd be willing even to sacrifice what's most dear to him in life in order to obey uh, the Lord. So the Lord says uh, to him, then Abraham, verse 13, lifts up his eyes and he looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns and so Abraham went and he took the ram and, and he offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son and because God provided uh, that ram there Abraham called the name of the place uh, Je Jehovah Jireh which means the Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount it was on Mount Moriah right in the mount of the Lord it will be provided and so he names the place the highest point there of uh, Mount Moriah he calls that highest point Jehovah Jireh God will provide and all of it a foreshadowing 2,000 years later of how God would make the greatest provision that could ever have been provided for mankind in providing us with a sacrifice for the forgiveness of of our uh, sins through the death of his son and then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven 
and said, by myself, God speaking, I have sworn. So he's not swearing, swearing uh, by myself and your faithfulness, or by myself and, you know, some other name. By myself I have sworn. Thus what he's going to swear is sure, says the Lord. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. They're going to uh, have victory and, and authority over their enemies, and in your seed all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice so in his seed the one that would come through the lineage of his son Isaac uh, Paul when he develops his letter to the Galatians he speaks of the fact that God does not say seeds multiple here but he says says seed singular speaking of the blessing the greatest blessing that has ever come into the world through the Jewish nation has been the provision of us with a Savior, the bringing of Jesus, the Messiah, uh, into the world. And Abraham returned then uh, to, his, uh, uh, to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. So it's a very, very interesting chapter in Abraham's life. It's an interesting uh, passage in, in the Bible presents us with a picture of a beautiful picture of two fathers God the father Abraham is a father both of them willing to sacrifice their son their only son for God's will for the good of of man mankind and uh, and, and, and all the chapter again a record of this ancient test in Abraham's life to see whether he would be willing to fully sacrifice or consecrate or surrender his son Isaac to the will and the purposes of God no matter how hard that will and those purposes uh, would be even if it meant life or death for Isaac and Abraham what did he do how did he do on this test pass the test Pass the test. You can get into Stanford now on this one. And every single one of us in this room that knows the Lord as our Savior can be thankful that He, <clears throat> that he passed that test. Now it teaches us a very, very practical lesson for all of us who are parents here in, in this room tonight. And it teaches us that none of us as parents should ever get in the way of God's will for our children Sometimes we can, uh, before we have children, you know, if we know the Lord and all, and we can uh, beg the Lord and plead with Him and, and all and pray for a child, and God, would you bless us with a child? <clears throat> and then He heeds that prayer, and uh, if in His will He blesses us uh, with a child, there's a great temptation now that we have that child and we love that child, and that child's a blessing in our life to begin to love that child more than the will of God for our lives and to love that child more than the will of God for that child and to take that child back away from God and now I'm no longer willing one day you know I promise and God if you give us a child we'll give him to you and dedicate him to you and you can use him however you want for your glory and it's a funny thing that can sometimes happen in our lives even for us as Christian parents 
is the greatest competition that God can uh, come to face for uh, using uh, His will in our children's life is us. And I remember listening to a tape many years ago about a man he's the head of a missions organization in the United States and, uh, and all and it's an international mission organization he said do you know what the greatest enemy to missionaries uh, coming out of the United States to the rest of the world is and he said it's Christian parents who when their child uh, has a call of God upon their lives to go someplace, to do something that can be very, very dangerous. It can even mean that they will lose their life for the furtherance of the gospel. But it is God's will for that child's life. How so often the parents will come into the situation and say, let's not get too crazy about all of this and all. You've got to get an education first and, and get a good job and get a few things and get a house and get married and have a few kids and all. Then still think, if, see if you're thinking in those terms. And we can be the greatest enemy that God faces in our children entering into God's will for their lives. And we're trying to protect them from God's will. Listen. There is no safer place in all of the world for our children than God's will. Whatever that means for them, whatever danger that places them in. There is no more unsafe place for our children than for us to use parental authority to rise up and circumvent the plan of God for their lives and guarantee that they are not walking in God's will. That's the dangerous place in life. And, and Abraham, and that's the thing that's going on in the whole deal here with God dealing personally with Abraham. Where, where are, are, are the next missionaries going to come from? Where are the next pastors going to come from? Where are the next evangelists going to come from? The next Bible teachers going to come from? Where are they going to come from to reach the world and the next generation if we do not allow God to take them from us for those purposes? The body of Christ is always one generation away from extinction. And it's a very important lesson for us to look and say, Lord, what you are calling my child to do and where it looks like you're taking them in this world, I mean, you're taking them to Keys. It looks very, very dangerous to me. I'm kidding. as a joke for those of you who come from Keys. Kind of a joke. <laughs> but we can look at it and, and, and say, Lord, I mean, I, I, this is not easy. This is hard and all of this. But it's, he's yours first. She's yours first, Lord. And I want to be an encouragement to your will upon, upon their life. And then it came to pass, verse 20, after these things, that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor. So there's some family matter, matters here. He gets a letter from uh, over in Mesopotamia, get an update on how his family's doing. His, his uh, brother's name is Nahor. He has a wife by the name of Milcah, and uh, she's... Uh, 
just Ma Kettle here. She's got children coming here, all lots of them, and uh, and and they don't know how, how to name them very well. Huz, his uh, Huz is firstborn, and Buzz his brother. So we got Huz and Buzz uh, right out of there. That'd be got a okay. Are you Huz or you Buzz or to, on the thing? So there's Kemuel, the father of uh, Aram. Uh, Hesed, uh, Hazo, uh, Pildash, uh, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. And then Bethuel, one of the sons now, he begot Rebekah. Now you circle that name in your mind because that is the wife, going to be the wife of, of, uh, of Isaac. And so this is why this whole thing's in, the, in the, the account. We know where she comes from and can follow chapter 24 a little bit better. So Bethuel begot a daughter by the name of Rebekah. And these eight, Milcah, Borton, Nahor, Abraham's brother. Uh, he also had a concubine uh, who provided him with four other children, Rumach, who also uh, uh, bore uh, Teba, uh, uh, Gehem, uh, uh, Phahash, and Maacha. And uh, so he, he, there's the twelve children of of his brother. Now Sarah, verse 23, she lived 127 years, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. And so Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So it's kind of sad, really, as you go through the Bible. Um, now we're going to leave Sarah here in, in this place. Just kind of got her buried, except she's alive in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. But then her her race, her ministry is over now. At the age of 127, this is the only place in the whole Bible where the death of a woman is recorded and her age is given at the time of her death. So she was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac, wasn't she? So she's been able to watch him grow into manhood. She's been able to enjoy this boy of hers now for, uh, for 37 years. But she dies now, and she's gathered to her, her people. And, um, uh, and, and, and so uh, her ministry is over. None of us, as we walk with the Lord, goes home to be with the Lord till our ministry is, is over. She's run her race. Now it's time for her uh, to go home and and uh, and so uh, she does here beautiful beautiful woman of faith and uh, you think about uh, how much uh, she had been through and with Abraham and all and how this is going to impact him I think it's important for us and I don't want to sound too cruel or too hard here I just want to float something out to you to maybe give some consideration to we're all waiting for the rapture of the church. And uh, as far as Karen and I are concerned, um, our children should never have seen the teenage years before the rapture occurred. I mean, we've been waiting for the rapture of the church since 1980. I'm not complaining. God is completely uh, on time. But we're looking for that day, and it could happen tonight. We're out of here. We won't face death. Our body will just be translated into that glorified body, those of us who are Christians. But if the Lord tarries, and I don't know when he's going to come back. I'm on tiptoes tonight. Just got a little jump start on things. I want to go. I want to go, to go home. I want to go to home to heaven. But I want to go with you on things, uh, on all of that. But barring the rapture of the church, death is going to be a reality related to people's lives. And if the Lord doesn't, doesn't come back for the rapture of the church for another hundred years, 
uh, I'm going to attend your coronation services and uh, you, you, you might attend mine. Uh, death is going to come and we don't really die as Christians. We move from this body, this earthly tent, into a new body that God has created for us. So understand I'm using death in that kind of a way. We are so uh, weird about death in the United States of America. I remember one time I was in uh, India and uh, we were doing some ministry there and all and we were waiting because this conference was starting and we were, there was this park here and everything and uh, I'm, uh, I forget who it was I was standing with there in the park and we're talking about what's going to happen that day and we see out of the corner of our eyes see this guy, uh, uh, four or five guys they're walking along and they've got what is obviously a body wrapped up in a cloth and they're just walking by and they head down the river just to dump them in the river now we don't deal with death like that it's not that open uh, to us. It's not that upfront uh, for us. So we have uh, very distinctive buildings that, that we move people in a very quiet kind of uh, hidden way from the hospitals or from the homes to these buildings where services then occur and then quietly taken out into a cemetery. We do a lot in this culture to keep death and, and away from our consciousness. That, that death is real, that death is coming, related to all of our lives. If the Lord tarries, I'm either going to face Karen's death in my own life, or she's going to face my death. That's the reality of it. Now, we shouldn't obsess about that. Think about it every single day or something, you know. It can kind of be difficult on your day. But, but there should be some beginning to come to grips with the fact as, as hard as it is when it comes, that it, it is a part of, of this fallen world and that it is a reminder constantly that this is not our home that we're passing through and we are on our way someplace else. And sometimes people, the first somebody dies, a loved one dies and all, and especially when it's unexpected, and everybody's going to fall apart over that. Everybody's going to feel real sorrow. We'll look at what Abraham does here on this. But as a Christian, it isn't a bad idea to begin to think about that reality in the light of the Scriptures before it does happen so I can process it in, in a biblical way. We're freaky about how we handle it in this culture. And so it blindsides us about every single time that it happens. Other cultures in the world handle it much more openly. Death is something that people are forced to come to grips with as a, as a uh, a regular part of their existence and of their life and they're a little better prepared I think uh, than, than us in it. Again I'm not saying as we'll see in just a moment that sorrow is unspiritual or, or just being wiped out because of the love that I have for this other person is, is uh, something wrong but I shouldn't be starting you know six steps back from that and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah there in verse 2 and to weep for her it's the first mention of weeping in the whole Bible. And it's the weeping of a godly man at the death of his wife leaving this earth. Now it appears that Abraham was not present with her at the time of her death. That makes it harder too, doesn't it? And, and so he comes now to where it is that, that she has died and it breaks his heart. Think about what, she, what they have been through in all these years of marriage. And that's, that's really the two-edged sword 
that in, sometimes in a, in a coronation service that, that I'll be officiating at or overseeing and all, where you've got this great marriage, where you've got this great mom, or you've got this great dad, or this great brother or sister, or son or daughter, or all of that. And because they were, they were so wonderful, it makes the loss so much harder. And one of, the, one of the important things to do in the whole process is to realize also, yes, it's making this loss so difficult, but because they were so great, they've left us with so much to be thankful for and to remember. It's the two-edged sword. I think about Karen and I. I mean, I think we've had like two arguments in our whole marriage on things. So it, it's just... I'm such a great husband. What can I say on the things? She's a very gracious woman on things. And I mean, we, she's my best friend with just everything and, and all. And if I were to, she was to go to be with the Lord uh, ahead of me, I would really have to force myself in the face of the greatness of the loss. I mean, you have to go through all of that, but to remind myself but because she was such a wonderful person, I don't mean to talk about your death, it's not any other things, but because she was such a wonderful person, there's so much to be thankful for and look at. But that takes some time to get to in all, but to realize that, that that's the truth. So he, here he is, and, and, uh, and, and so he begins to weep. It isn't unspiritual to weep. The Bible says that we do sorrow as Christians. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, our sorrow, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope in the face of death. We have the confidence that we will see our loved one uh, once uh, uh, again. So here is his, his, uh, his companion. This is his princess. I mean, wow, this is really something. And uh, lifelong uh, companion here. And so the loss is very, very great. But we're told concerning, in the book of Hebrews, concerning Sarah and concerning Abraham, that he and she, they looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. All the way through their life, there was that recognition as they were growing together that this is not it. Yeah, there's wealth and yeah, there's this and all of these things, but this is not our destination. This isn't as good as it gets. This isn't where our history ends. It ends in heaven. So he's processing everything in in the in this this kind of a way but there's there's uh, grief that happens here and and so he he stood up we're told in verse 3 uh, from before his dead the morning he's mourned and now he he, he needs to uh, bury his Sarah and they they buried in those days and even to this day uh, both uh, both the Jews and the Arabs they they will bury on the same day as of the death so he stood up from before his dead and he spoke to the sons of Heth the people that lived the region that he was in and uh, remember he's a he's kind of a sojourner in that land all the land's been given to him they just don't know it yet and uh, so uh, but he's a very very powerful man very respected man and so he spoke up with real humility I am a foreigner and a visitor among you give me my property for a burial place uh, give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight I want to bury my wife and the sons of Heth 
answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord. Tremendous respect toward him and, and his, uh, who he was and what they'd seen in his life. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place that you may bury your dead. You choose the cave uh, that's on any of our property and, and, and we will uh, give it to you for the, the bearing of your wife. And Abraham stood up and he bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. Uh, and, and so he acknowledges their grace, he acknowledges their hospitality with a bow there. And he spoke to them saying, if it is your wish, so he's asked for something they've invited. Well, if it is your wish, it's a beautiful, <laughs> the whole account on this kind of back and forth and polite negotiation, you know, and you have to be polite in these circumstances. He said, if it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, then hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. So he says, I'd like to have that burial place. I'm willing to pay uh, full price uh, for it. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of all of the sons of Heth who had entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and the cave that is in it, I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. And so he honors Abraham in his law. Uh, of his wife he honors him in this way he is trying to comfort him in this way but they both know he's not given me that field it's just a real polite negotiation happening no no I wouldn't expect any money related to that it's yours I give it to you bury your debt would be a complete offense if Abraham said cool and, uh, and took the thing uh, like that. And Abraham knows that. And then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land. And uh, again, he's, he, 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 he is, their grace toward him is, is impactful uh, upon him. A time of vulnerability and all. And he bows himself down before the people of the land. And he spoke to Ephron in the uh, hearing of the people of the land saying, If you will give it to me then please hear me I will give you money for the field take it from me and I will bury my dead there and Ephron answered and said to him my Lord listen to me the land is worth 400 shekels of silver but what's that between you and me so bury your dead so little by little Middle Eastern politeness and all he gets the asking price out there and uh, Abraham recognizes it uh, for, for what it is. And now it seems that his asking price is a little bit uh, high. Uh, so uh, later on in the book of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah is called by the Lord to act as a kinsman redeemer, to redeem a piece of land prior to uh, the takeover by the Babylonians and all, uh, that he redeems this piece of land owned by his relatives, and he only pays 17 shekels for that land. So either this land is a lot more land and a lot better land, uh, or 
this is a very, very high price that's being asked. Now, Abraham is not, even if it was an exorbitant price, he is not going... He wants to bury his wife. It's not a place to head into a negotiation or that kind of a thing and all. He doesn't want to dishonor his wife or deal with it anyway. He's going to pay the price. And, And one of the easiest places in life to make money off of people, if we're not careful, is to take advantage of them at the time of a death of a loved one. Because they typically won't fight. They don't want to dishonor the, the memory. They want it to be peaceful. They want to get through uh, the, the whole thing and all. They're just not up to a fight or a negotiation. And, and I think businesses and all have to be very, very careful uh, that are in that kind of, of a field. And Abraham listened, verse 16, to Ephron. And Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver currency of the merchants. And so the field of uh, Ephron, uh, which was in Machpelah, uh, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which are within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city and so this is a it all this whole negotiation this contract is being entered into at the gate of the city as we've seen before that's where the notable uh, men of the city would be there so that they could act as witnesses to a transaction remember there's not a lot of literacy in the world people aren't signing contracts they don't have copy machines or computers or any of these kinds of things so a contract was witnessed by men of, of great reputation that was the contract and the witness to it and that's what happened here uh, the witnesses to the legal transaction that has happened there and after this Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre that is Hebron in the land of Canaan and so the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place it's the only piece of property that Abraham purchased in the land of Canaan was a, was a burial place for his wife. And the reason that he didn't buy any more of it is he's been promised the whole thing by God for his descendants. So he's just going to wait that out and get it for free on things. But this was an immediate kind of need. Now the fascinating thing here is that this uh, burial place here of Sarah, later Abraham and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah are also going to be buried there. And in the, in the city was known today as Hebron. And I understand that there is a Muslim mosque that is built uh, upon that site uh, to this day because they esteem him in some marginal way, Abraham, as being a, a holy man and as a prophet and, and that kind of thing. So tremendous Jewish history associated with the city of Hebron. So the conflict goes on as it relates to this land. So beautiful, beautiful helpmeet and bride that he had. And, uh, and, and, and now she has finished her ministry, gone to be with the Lord, so to speak, in Abraham's bosom and, and, and awaits the coming uh, of the Messiah. We'll stop there tonight and uh, we'll pick it up in chapter 24, another amazing chapter here in the book of, of Genesis, picture uh, of, of the Lord Jesus. Tonight we want to partake.